For a Christian to fail to participate in the life of the local church is inexcusable. You'll notice that tonight in part four of the Acts series that we're doing as we're going through the book of Acts, tonight's lesson is entitled, Passion for the Church. Now, I have another quote that I wanted to read to you by a gentleman by the name of Erwin McManus. And I got another quote on your sheet. You can take that one home. By Erwin McManus, and he is the pastor of a church by the name of Mosaic in L.A. They're a uh, fantastic church down there. They have all kinds of neat things going on. And I feel like they're probably one of the closest things to the New Testament church that's out there. But he said this, Whenever we see the church through the template of an organization we begin creating an institution. When we relate to the church as an organism, a living thing, we begin to awaken an apostolic ethos which unleashes the movement of God. The power and life of God's Spirit working in His people results in nothing less than cultural transformation. Let me share with you a verse, and then I want to challenge you with a thought, something that's been burning in my heart. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I believe that we are called as believers to do something totally different than what the whole rest of the world around us is doing. I believe that we have been doing it very improperly for many years. Um, When I was growing up, I'm going to use music for an instance because I grew up in the music scene and I was in a band and that was a big deal for me as everything was about music, right? Well, in the 80s, Christian music was, uh, it was fun if you were a Christian and you knew about the Christian bands, but to everybody else outside the church, Christian music was pretty weak, all right? Christian music was pretty cheesy and uh, didn't go real well in the secular market. You never heard it on the radio. You never saw it doing anything big except for eventually one band burst out on the rock scene. And who was that band? You guys remember? Striper! (laughs) All right. Striper was the band, all right? Now then, to the Christian market, Striper, the band that was yellow and black and wore the spandex and the whole bit, those guys were a huge deal. They were the biggest thing that ever launched out of the Christian market. To the secular market or the rest of the world, they were one of many. They were just one other rock and roll band, just like a bunch of them, and they thought, hey, they got some good tunes, they got some things going on, sure, we'll, we'll hang out with them and see a concert or two. But really, they were not that big of a deal. But things have changed. The Christian market has drastically altered, and it's beginning to cut into mainstream music in ways that it never has before. I was clicking through the channels the other day, and there was a pay-per-view. Now, you've got to remember what pay-per-view means. It means you have to pay to view, all right? Now then, usually that's something WWF, and I I always think, you know, sure, I'll watch wrestling every once in a while. I'm not going to pay to watch it, all right? But here's the deal. Pay-per-view comes on, and it was Jars of Clay. You guys ever heard of Jars of Clay? Pay-per-view to watch Jars of Clay. You guys have heard of Sixpence None the Richer? They did a song. They were out on the secular market, and all of a sudden you began to see all these bands coming out, and they're being respected by the world around them. People are beginning to look at them and say, hey, these, these bands are a little bit different. They're kind of upbeat. This is kind of a cool message. This is nice. And then one band just recently has jumped on the scene. They're a band by the name of P.O.D. 
If you have ever heard the band P.O.D. or ever seen their stuff, you probably haven't heard their music, maybe some of you have, but you've probably seen their stuff somewhere. Now here's why. They're huge. They're winning all the awards. They're the number one hard band out there as far as hard rock music goes. They're leading the industry. I was listening to a local talk radio station and they were slamming on Christians and doing a bunch of stuff and then one of them said, hey, have you ever heard of that band P.O.D.? And he goes, yeah, man, I call them Pod. And he goes, great, well, what did you think of Pod? And he goes, those guys are hardcore. Those guys are great. The whole conversation switched. They went from slamming on Christians to all of a sudden there was a tremendous respect because of one band. They said, I met those guys. Those guys are scary. That's the word they used. Because they were so focused on God, they walked into their area and just blew them away. And they said, hey man, hands down, those guys have our respect. Now, here's my challenge to you. I believe we as Christians have been running to keep up with the world for way too long, and I think it's a joke. I think that as long as you are trying to copy what everyone else is doing in the world, and the Christian industry is merely a mirror image of the rest of the world around them, but in a cheesier version, that's going to get you nowhere. That doesn't give God any glory. It just makes it look like God is trying to be like everybody else, but he's a joke. I'll tell you what we are called to do as the church. I'll tell you what we're called to do as believers. We are called to lead culture, not run and catch up with culture. What we're going to read about in the book of Acts is that this church launches on the scene, and because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the early church spreads out and transforms the world. What is our calendar based on? B.C., A.D., stuff like that. The whole calendars of the world adjusted. The whole world adjusted because of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, even in the Jewish culture that was dominant at the time, all of a sudden the worship day shifted from Saturday of the Sabbath to Sunday as the day of worship because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, there began to have even weekly events changed all across the map. We have the truth. We have the fire of God in our lives. We have things that could blow the world away and transform them, and we are setting them aside and running to catch up and be cool with them. There's something seriously wrong with that. Erwin McManus went on to say, is the key to dealing with a rapidly changing world, to dealing with a culture addicted to speed, is not to catch up with it, but to give up trying to keep up. Discover there's something more significant than going fast. The power of force. The first century church didn't keep up with its time and didn't spend its energy keeping up with its time. The first century church changed time. It rewrote history. It radically impacted culture. It was the forerunner, not the runner-up. What I'm going to show you tonight in one of my favorite passages is that if we become the people that God has designed, if we become the church, the organism, the body of Christ that God has designed, the whole world will be impacted and they will want to know what's going on and they will seek to have what we have, not us clamoring to get what they have. Would you pray with me as we get started? Heavenly Father, I know you are calling us to something that is a drastic change in mindset. I ask, Father, that you would well up within us possibilities, that you would allow us to dream a bit, that you would allow us to see a vision that you cast before our eyes, that we might be something wholly different 
that, Father, that if you have indeed saved us, if you have indeed given us the peace that we claim, if you have indeed gotten rid of all of our sin, past, present, and future, if, Father, you have restored your relationship with us and our Creator, then, Father, I think it's time that we begin to live like it. Father, would you change us today? In your name we pray. Amen. A month and a half ago, I taught a lesson entitled the very same thing, Passion for the Church. Why am I doing it again? Because it's key. It's important. Scripture brings it up over and over again. You are not part of the church by accident. You are not part of the church because there's nothing else to do. You are part of the church because it was designed by God and it is the proper way in which we relate to one another and we relate to the world. The reason why you're not so hyped on church is because for so long it hasn't done what it's been called to do. I would like to just take a second and take the whole concept you have of church and forget about the do's and don'ts and set it down a little bit different and start talking about the atmosphere that needs to be going on around here and in our lives and one by one as we begin to click into God's vision and we begin to show one another what it could be like as we begin to be transformed, this whole organism that you know as Roseville Hope will begin to impact our community and impact our culture and impact our world. I have seen more than one person come to the knowledge of Christ because they looked up and wanted to be like Christians in their lives. I've seen it happen. They don't know why they want to be like you. They don't understand why you have peace. They don't. They don't have any of those answers, and it doesn't matter. They want so badly to have what you have. And what you have done, and I have done, is locked it away in a cupboard and pretended to be like them. No wonder they don't want to be around you. No wonder they don't want to come to church. I wouldn't either. It's about time we unleash who we're supposed to be. We are the body of Christ. We are the people of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Every bit of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is present in the church. We have unlimited amounts of power because we're connected to a risen Christ, connected to a Christ that sits at the right hand of the Father and is able to do stuff like Pentecost that we talked about last week and the week before, where one day 3,000 people were saved and came to a knowledge of Christ. We have unlimited potential because Christ resides in the heavenlies and we are not citizens of this earth. We are citizens of a different kingdom. We're merely passing through. Why then do we put so many stakes down here? And I'll be the first to admit, I got a million. I like it down here. Why? Because it's not too hard. I got things going on for me. I got people I love. I got institutions that I enjoy. Is that wrong? It's not wrong to enjoy stuff. It's wrong when it becomes your whole sole reason for living. And that's unfortunately what's happening. What is the church supposed to do? I've seen book after book after book come out on the Christian market, and I've had to read a lot of these for seminary, and it says, what is the one thing the church is supposed to do? And they start playing it off like if you just do one thing, suddenly the whole world is transformed. If only you were seeker-sensitive, if only you were uh, addicted to Scripture, if only you would just pray, if only you would do one of these things, your whole world would be transformed. And yet I've seen churches do that, and I haven't seen any transformation. I'll tell you what, church is supposed to do a lot of stuff. 
As a matter of fact, the list I got right in here in front of me is we're supposed to be missionaries, we're supposed to edify the saints, we're supposed to build each other up, to be family and friends and fellowship, be a school for preaching and teaching, corporately worship, be a hospital and a light in the dark world, to be outreaching, to be a temple and a haven for the sacred and the scared, be an embassy and a boot camp, be witnesses of God's glory, corporately pray and be priests of the world. Is that a lot? It's not about being a one-trick pony. It's not that there's one thing that we're going to do and suddenly we're going to be doing it right. There's a million things we should be doing. There's a lot of ins and outs. What makes you healthy? Is it because you drink one kind of fruit juice? No. It's because you do a bunch of stuff to keep healthy. That's why. As a leader, I'm looking out and I'm saying, what are we supposed to do as Roseville Hope? What are we supposed to do? What are we called to do as coming together as a church? We're called to do a bunch of stuff. But is that what we need to focus on, the ins and outs? We're never going to be able to balance it all. You're never going to keep all the plates spinning in the air at the same time. So what do we focus on that would allow all the rest of the stuff to come naturally? Well, I'll show you. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. In the red Bibles that you were just handed, that is page 772. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. So we want the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, we're doing... Verses 42 through 47, and then we're going to do a piece out of chapter 4. I'm going to be reading out of what's called the NIV, the New International Version. Many of you have those Bibles, so it'll look real familiar to you. Acts 2, verse 42. I want to show you what a real church looks like and what I dream for Roseville Hope. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They, who's they? The 120 at Pentecost? Sure. What about the 3,000 who just got saved? Them too, 3,120 people, they, what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions in, and goods they gave to anyone that had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They praised God and they enjoyed the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Turn to the right in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Continuing to talk about the church, it didn't just happen one day. It was a way of life. It was an atmosphere they lived and breathed. Verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no greedy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. As a matter of fact, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Is that our church? Is that what we're doing? Kind of. It says they devoted themselves. First part that we read, they... 3,120 people. That's a big church. They devoted themselves to stuff. Here's my concern. 
The church should never be about rules and regulations. The church should never be about, I tell you what to do and you follow those instructions. The church should not be about, here's how we act, here's how we don't act, and we legislate morality. If you need to legislate or make laws to do something, that implies the people don't want to do it. My job as a leader and as someone that is casting vision for this church is to be a church that wants to do it. Did you understand the term said they devoted themselves? They didn't get reined in by the leadership. They didn't get forced to do stuff. They didn't get bound. They didn't get shoved into things. They didn't have to be manipulated. They didn't have to be persuaded. They devoted themselves. I'm not interested in making you do anything. I'm interested in providing the means by which you would fall in love with God and be consumed by the fire that He is. It is my vision that we as a church would devote ourselves, each and every individual. I was hanging out with one of the elders, John, the other night. We were having fun together. And he said, you know what? Our life has really become a lot about about Roseville Hope. Man, it's our friends, we hang out there, we serve there, we do stuff together. It's kind of all wrapped up together. I never made him do that. He said, you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. They're thinking about buying another house. And he said, uh, Sarah asked him, you know, where do you want to look? Do you want to look in Outgrove? Nope. Why? Too far away from where he wants to be. It's affecting the whole way he thinks because he wants to be here, because he devoted himself. He walked into this church and asked where he could serve. When I talk to him and I say, hey, you know, I'm, I've been praying the other day, that's good, you should be praying. He prays because that's what's natural. Is it natural for you? Or are you still fighting the Christian thing? Are you still fighting how to live? Or is it a natural extension of who you are? Are you in love with God enough that would make the rest of your life come into line? Or are you still waiting for someone to bust you? And are you still seeing what boundaries you can push? You know what? I'll tell you right now, you can push all your boundaries. And I probably won't even catch you. Nor am I interested in catching you. Do you understand that you could live a full life of as much sin as you wanted and still play the game when you show up here and I'll never know. you understand that? I know when I look at you, you think I can see your soul. It's not true. The bottom line is I can be fooled. I don't know what's going on. You'll tell me, but I don't know. You could be screwing around as much as you wanted and still be here. And as a matter of fact, I may even ask you to step into leadership because I don't know what your secret life is like. Is that all right with you? See, I'm not interested in games. I'm not interested in pretending. I'm interested, do you want to be here or not? I think you do. Because you're giving up a Saturday night. There's a lot of stuff you could be doing. And you know what? Sunday morning's a great time to sleep. For some reason, it's a better time to sleep. And yet, you show up sometimes. I believe you want to be here. I believe the reason why you live the lives that you live is because you want to live the lives. 
I believe the one reason why you pray as much as you do is because you want to pray. I believe you read the Bible because you consider it your food, your power. I believe that you're involved with God because you really need Him. Not because anyone's making you. Y'all, we're adults. Your parents are long gone from telling you what to do and what to believe and what to think. That was many, many years ago. It's all on you. Your choice. What were they devoted to? They were devoted to the Word. John 8.31, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. The Word was proclaimed and explained. It was the very food they lived on. It was what made them work and made them go. We proclaim the Word every weekend. That is something we are committed to. I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to read the Word. And I'm going to tell you, is some of my opinion going to get mixed up in that? Yeah, you should throw that away. It's just my opinion. But when I begin to read the Word and I begin to talk about the Word, that is stuff that will make you live. That is stuff that will transform your mind. That is stuff that will make you someone that would lead culture as opposed to change, chase culture. That when I begin to read the Word of God to you, that when I begin to explain it to you and what it means and things like that, I want you to absorb it and put it in, lock it in and say, what does this mean for me? That's what we're doing here. What were they devoted to? They were devoted to fellowship to hanging out with one another. Webster's Dictionary calls it companionship, brotherhood, friendly association, mutual sharing, a group of people with the same interests. Fellowship is a key motivator of keeping us each fired up. How do you put out, if you wanted to put out a fire with a bunch of coals when you get done with the barbecue and you want it to hurry up and cool down, what do you do that has charcoal briquettes? You separate them. Because when they're together, they'll smolder for a long time. And the fire will stay in there, despite how cold it is on the outside. If we remain tight-knit, if we remain together, our fire will blaze. What Satan will do, the enemy will do, is try to divide and conquer. He'll give you a million distractions on why you don't want to be here. He will give you a million things to keep your mind occupied on something else. He'll start breaking up relationships in here. You'll start seeing people getting a little bit more irritating. Things will begin to rub you the wrong way that you might be separated out and grow cold. But they were devoted to be together. I believe in this church we're devoted to be together. You guys are my closest friends. You are my family. And I have seen you bond with each other and do stuff for one another that requires sacrifice. That's incredible. I have seen you be closer to one another than your own families. Because you want to be. What were they devoted to? They were devoted to communion. Now we do communion once a month because we're devoted to it. Why? It's just juice and crackers. What's the big deal? Why do it over and over? Because it remembers Jesus. Because it remembers the cross. And you know what? We're all different. Would you agree? Not every one of us work in the same place. Not every one of us have the same income. Not every one of us have the same problems. Not every one of us are married. Not every one of us are single. Not every one of us have kids. We are very different people in different stations of life. Why then do we hang out together? Because at the foot of the cross, we're all the same. You're a sinner and I'm a sinner. and We both need grace. Communion reminds us why we get together. Communion reminds us of unity with Christ. And when we take communion, we say, would you examine your life? Communion purifies the church as we examine our own hearts. No one's going to police you. That's God's job. On the inside out, what were they dedicated to? They were devoted to prayer. 
They pursued divine help corporately as a team. They had to know, God, where do we go next? The weakness in the church today, part of it is because we're not praying anymore. You know what? I was just watching a video about some other churches around the world and they were transforming their communities by the power of prayer. And I believe that that's legit. I believe that happens. And you know what? We pray a lot in our services. We pray in between. When Matt's up here and he's leading worship, he's leading prayer. When I get up here, I pray one or two times. We pray when we talk about the offering. We pray when we open up the service. We're always praying because we need divine direction. We need divine help. This is all about God. It's not a social club. And so we consistently pray. As a matter of fact, we're readjusting Wednesday nights that we would have more prayer. There's been a small committed core that consistently meets late hours after Wednesday and prays for the church. We are a people devoted to prayer. Do you see? The only reason why we're healthy is because we're doing it God's way. What else were they devoted to? They were devoted to unity. Practically speaking, they were a brand new church and they had to hang out with each other because they didn't know where to meet. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like you got 3,120 people out of nowhere and you don't even know where church is next time. They didn't have a building. They hung out in people's homes. They were always together. you got to be devoted to unity, man. Where are we having church next week? I don't know, man. Call me up. Let me know. They didn't even have telephones. Spiritually speaking, they needed to be together to remain strong and growing. And emotionally speaking, they needed to be together because they loved one another. I will tell you this, when I was gone for two weeks, three weekends overseas, I missed you. I needed to be be together with you emotionally because I love you. That's why. I didn't have to come back like that. I don't have to be here. I can get another job. I want to be here. This is my favorite place. These believers were on fire. It says everyone was filled with awe. Wonders, miraculous signs were done by the apostles. With great power, they continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And much grace was upon them all. The same word awe is phobos in Greek. It's the same word for when people saw demons cast it out and they went, whoa, hey, that's a little freaky. I don't know what just happened there, but I got some little rah, rah guy that just jumped out and, and beat somebody up. I mean, that's odd. When someone was raised from the dead, boom, awe hit him. Whoa, that, that guy was dead. That, that guy's now alive. I don't really get that whole thing. It's the same thing that talks about all these words. Same thing. It went Ananias and Sapphira, two people, tried to play games with the Holy Spirit and they were struck dead. Bam! And everybody standing there backed up. That word, phobos, that awe, that fear of being in the presence of God captured every one of their hearts. It wasn't about church building. It wasn't about programs church did. It was about God's presence. I believe that in this church, God's presence is increasing like a coming storm. It is rumbling throughout here. How do I know that? Because new people come in and say, I felt the presence of God. People in worship are beginning to say, I feel the presence of God. The more and more we get out of the way, the more and more we surrender to God, the more room we give Him, the more He fills His place. And little by little, we're getting more and more unselfish. And the awe of God is going to descend upon us. You know why there's not a lot of awe? Because we're all skeptical. And we all come in with distractions and we think that we're just going to walk in, hear a cute little message and bail. No. You stepped into the Holy of Holies. And the awe will strike you. Awe is a secondary emotion. You can't fake it. You can't pretend it. You can't even make it. 
It's a secondary emotion. When it hits you, you'll know. You guys cool? Alright, just checking. They were filled with God's power. The power pointed to the truth. Primarily the apostles had the sign gifts, but not always. Do we have tons of power as evidence of what I preach? Do we have all kinds of wild, crazy stuff going on? No? No? But power's coming. And when it hits, you'll know. I dream of a place where we are immersed in God. A place where every individual is working out his or her issues at the foot of the cross. I dream of a place where we are covered in love and grace and through our transformation we consume one another. Erwin McManus said this, You've heard it said that the safest place is to be is in the center of God's will. I'm sure that promise was well intended, but it's neither true nor innocuous. The truth of the matter is, is that the center of God's will is not a safe place, but the most dangerous place in the world. God fears no one and nothing. God moves with intentionality and power. To live outside God's will puts us in danger. To live in His will makes us dangerous. Oh, when you're consumed by God, other people need to watch out. You're not the one that needs to be in fear. I will tell you this, that if we begin to be consumed by the fire of God, Roseville better watch out. We're not in danger. They're in danger of being touched by God. And when you're touched by God, your life will never be the same. If you come to church and you leave and get nothing, you were not touched by God. And it's because you kept him at arm's length and wouldn't let him touch you. He is willing. And he is waiting. They had what was called, in my mind, an unselfish community. It said all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their possessions and good. They gave to everyone that had need. No one claimed his own possessions. They shared what they had. People were selling stuff and bringing it in. And they were giving money to help somebody else. And it was about generosity. This was not a commune. This was not where it was a little form of communism where nobody owned anything and blah, blah, blah. That's not what it says. As a matter of fact, if you read through the book of Acts, they still had homes. They still had stuff. They still had a bunch of things. The deal was, is when someone was in need, they jumped at the chance to help. That's different. Does our church do that? Yeah, we sure do. They shared all they had. They sacrificed. Do you understand? Let me give you a few numbers. You know this building edition over here that I come to you? about a month and a half ago, and I asked you, and said, hey, here's our problem. We have no room for our kids. We need to expand over there. We need 1,500 square feet. Do you remember how much I told you it was going to be total? It's going to be about five to seven grand to build it out, and then it was going to be 14.5 for a year's of rent, a year's worth of rent, and we wanted to do it without touching our building fund for the future, and we said, would you guys like to step up to the plate? There's a need here. Our kids need some space. What do you guys think? We have yet, because he's still cleaning it out, and we're doing the, gonna be starting the build out, we just submitted the plans, we have yet to pay a month's worth of rent. You know what happened? Someone came in and donated the whole build out. And you know the 14.5 that we need in rent? You know how much money was donated so far? $8,000 out of 14. And we haven't even paid a bill yet. This is incredible. 
You know how much money was given by you and through this church to benevolence, which means you help people in need? This last year, to date, over $6,000 to people in need. You know how much to missions? $16,800. Are we like that? Yes. You got a bunch of people given to people in need? Yeah. Do you got a bunch of people sold out to Christ? Yeah. Do you have people that are looking out for one another? Oh, yeah. Because on top of all that, there's the numbers that will never be figured because those people are secret. And I hear about them by accident. The covert givers is what I call it. They call me up and they say, Lance, it's Christmas time. We have a little extra cash we'd like to give to a family in need. Do you know anyone? Yeah? Great. And they never let you know who it is. There are people in this congregation that are giving all the time. Do they love you? Oh, yeah. Are they consumed? Absolutely. These people sacrificed. Second Corinthians 8.14 said, Paul said, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need. So in turn, their plenty will supply what you need and there will be equality. First John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Money still ruling you to where you can't let it go? I'll tell you, the day is coming when you're going to get consumed by God and it's not going to be a big deal. It'll pour out of you just like it's pouring out of so many people already. We're being caught up in God. These people were on a mission. It says every day they went out to the temple. Do you understand the temple was a Jewish place to hang out? These guys weren't liked by the Jews. These were the rebels. These were the outsiders. And they did not lay back and say, oh, that's where those Jew guys hang out. No, I don't hang out there. I'm a Christian now. You know what they did? They remembered back that Jesus said, no, 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 that's not a Jewish, that's not a Samaritan, that's not a Christian place, that's my dad's house. Everybody's welcome there. And they said, well, then I'm in. You do not give up space to the world. You do not give up place to the enemy. You do not say that place is off limits that used to be your place. God owns everything. Therefore, we take back land. Therefore, we take back and say, no, we will transform this culture, not step away from it. We will engage. We will not retreat. We will not be a monastery. We will be a power force. That is what we are called to do. That every day these people were so fired up by God, they went out in unification. They walked out and they stepped up with a purpose, walked right into the temple and said, let's talk. That was the culture of their day. Have you retreated from your job? Oh, well, they're all non-believers. I can't really talk about God there. If there's rules, all right. But there's a way to do it that doesn't break rules. There's a way to love people that's not against any rule. There's a way to dynamically transform a life without ever breaking a rule. Are you doing that? Are you engaging in your culture or retreating from your culture? I guess that's what I'm asking. We must be purposeful in what we do. We must be intentional. We must be on our way somewhere, not waiting for the world to tell us what's important. Oh, you gotta have that car. Oh, you gotta have that house. Oh wait, this is popular. Oh no, this is the style you need. No way, this is really where you need to be hanging out. No way, this. No, you don't wait for the world to tell you what is cool and what's not cool. 
You determine what is cool by God and His standards. And then you engage in that and you spend all your time and all your effort being consumed by God and focusing on what He wants you to do. And the rest of the world is going to be like, why are you spending all your time over there? What do you got that I don't have? I got eternal life. What do you got? I got a beer. Okay. It says, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They were dedicated to fun and fellowship. You know what? They opened their homes to one another. They were open and honest, real and genuine. There was no games. There was no I'm all good and everybody else is bad. There was no holy roller this. There was a complete admitting of pain. There was a complete admitting of loss. There was a complete admitting of just not cutting it. And everybody was in the same boat. So it wasn't a big deal. We all just talk about it and that's what this church is. When new people come into this church and if they take any moment to engage with the people, they understand that we are a genuine congregation. That we are a people that will love you for who you are. You don't need to conform to be here. You just need to be here. They were with glad and sincere hearts. The word sincere means smooth without rocks. It means the atmosphere of their very lives were changed by simplicity and purity. They just laughed because it was fun. They just enjoyed being with each other. They rejoiced. They praised God. They worshiped God. Joy comes from giving God glory in your life. One of the greatest moves of God in our congregation is happening in worship. People are starting to surrender themselves and quit worrying about what they look like. They're starting to forget about the fact that everybody around them is looking at them going, why are you raising your hand? Don't you got sin in your life? The answer is, you bet. That's why I'm here. You see? Worship is taken off all over this congregation. It's happening on Wednesdays. It's happening on Saturdays. It's happening on Sundays. Little by little, people are putting themselves aside and putting Jesus first. And they're beginning to break in their hearts. And worship is beginning to transform. Your faces are looking different. Your hearts are coming through your shirts. And I can see the surrender in your arms. It's just happening. It says that they had favor with all the people in peace. Do people like Roseville Hope that aren't Christians? Uh, some of them. It's a little uncomfortable. Sometimes it's a little geeky. I understand. That's my fault. But the bottom line? Yeah, thank you, Patrick. You're silent the whole time and now you speak up. Thank you, Patrick. The whole point is this. Do people enjoy being loved? Why wouldn't you? Why in the world would you not want to be loved? Why wouldn't you want to come in? I'll just smile at you and I'll just give you a hug. Is there a problem with that? I mean, I'll hang out with you. I'll shoot pool with you. I'll do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Let's just spend time together. Why would you not like that? Maybe you're afraid I'm going to get too involved. Okay. God's going to get too involved. No wonder it's uncomfortable. He's going to walk right into your heart. He's going to change you for the rest of your life. It says, the last verse says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were grown by God and grown by help. 
people all around them could see their lives being transformed and they wanted to do it too. They said, wait a second, you sleep at night. Why? I want to sleep at night. Wait a second, you seem to be okay with the world. I want to be okay. You seem to have direction and purpose. I want direction and purpose. Wait, you seem to be okay with the with God and death. I want to be okay with God and death. You see, you have what I want. And people began to gather around and see what was going on. That's what Roosevelt Hope needs to be. A place where people gather around and want to see what is going on. But who's in charge of salvation? God. I'm not saving anybody, nor are you. God saves people, and that's his business. Someone wants to get saved, that's between them and the Lord. Not my job to save you. Not anybody in this room's job to save you. That's your business. And I'll step off and allow God to do that. So how is our church growing? Interesting. Our church is healthy. I think that if our church ever gets unhealthy, I think that we got something wrong. I think if we stop growing, there's something seriously wrong. You know what? Want me to blow your mind on some statistics? And I just got this in the mail, in the email, as I was coming across. Our church, at current rate of growth, does it seem like we're growing real fast? Not really. I mean, there's growth here, right? You always see new people, and you're going, man, I, I kind of see new people all the time, and it's not always packed. We've been adding some extra chairs, so it loosens up a little bit. It's not always crowded. Stuff like that, and this is Saturday night. Saturday night's a little bit smaller service than Sunday, and so we got Sunday and Saturday. Let me blow your mind with this. If we stay at the current rate of growth, and you guys were, we have like front property right on the freeway, right? It's so easy to find this place, right? You know how many people have come to church and got lost? Even after they get directions, they still can't find the church? We just got in the phone book this year properly. It's hard to find the church. We are growing by word of mouth only. You understand that? People seeing transformed lives, wanting to come, check it out, and people are coming to this church. If we stay at the current rate of growth that we are at right now, in five years we'll have over a thousand people. In ten years we'll have over five thousand people. If we do nothing different than word of mouth. It's a healthy church. People ask me all the time, Lance, how big do you want Roosevelt Hope to get? I want to get as big as God wants us to get. Which means if we can only be healthy at 400, we stop at 400 and we make smaller churches and we break up and do church plants. If we can be healthy at 4,000, I want to be healthy at 4,000. I don't care. I just want to be healthy. There are some things that a large church can do that a small church can't do. All right, I want to impact our culture and be a movement, sure. And maybe that's what is going to be required, but I'll tell you this. I just want to be in God's will. I just want to be where he calls us to be. And if we continue to be transformed, if we continue to be consumed, if we continue to have an atmosphere where God is free to move, and he receives glory, and he receives honor, and he receives praise, if we become a house of prayer, if we become a house where people are loved, if we become a haven of acceptance, if we become a dynamic factor in our culture, we will grow. And we will grow. And we will grow. You won't see me cut that off. I refuse to be unhealthy just because some people like a small church. I just grow where God tells me to grow. Does that make sense?
Let's conclude. Can I have the band come on up? It's all about being dynamic and devoted believers, seeking after God with all our hearts. It's about the natural outflow of a healthy relationship with God. Erwin McManus said, a person who's growing in spiritual maturity develops emotional health. A person who's growing in spiritual maturity is healing broken relationships and building healthy ones. A person who's growing in spiritual maturity begins to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and no longer allows the imaginations of their heart to run riot. A person who's growing spiritual health begins to treat his or her body as a temple of the Lord and establish personal discipline. A person who's growing in spiritual health dreams great dreams with God. My challenge to you is this. As you begin to foster your relationship with God on your own and not wait for me or someone in leadership to tell you to do something, my dream is that you would take it upon yourself, you would devote yourselves to be healthy. To stop ramming against rules and start realizing you have all the freedom in the world to make up your own rules. I want you to be useful. I want you to be for a purpose. Where do you lack? Do you lack love? Engage in God. He'll give you love. Do you lack in compassion or knowledge? Pursue after God. Do you lack in discipline? If you fall in love with God, begin to beg Him that He would lead you to be a moving force to transform the world through Him. He's more interested in changing the world than you are. He just needs an open vessel.